0: Hello, and welcome to SaaS Migration, Real-World Patterns and Strategies. As the slide says, my name is Todd Golding, and I'm a Partner Solutions Architect at AWS, and I'm part of a team that's called the SaaS Factory. And that team works with organizations that are in various stages of adopting SaaS on AWS, migrating new solutions, building brand new ones, optimizing solutions, and so on. And one of the really common patterns we see out there with organizations is that they have these very traditional um, solutions that are essentially either installed on premises or they're running them at their own hosted solution, or they might even be running in the cloud, but they're running in what we traditionally call a single tenant model where every customer is running their own version of the software, they're managed independently, they're operated independently, uh, and they tend to have one-off versions floating around, even customizations potentially floating around, where each customer has their own solution. Now, if you look at the emergence of SaaS as a delivery model, what we've seen is a real shift here, where organizations are moving more towards a model where they're really trying to be more innovative and they're trying to have better agility, and this has changed the way they're building their solutions. They're optimizing these solutions, they're um, they're adding uh, new operational footprints, they're adding agility, they're adding all this goodness to be able to be more competitive in the market. And um, what we see now is that these organizations that are coming to us, they're saying, we see the appeal of this, we see the competitive pressure of needing to be in this format. And so what we're trying to do is look for ways to migrate our existing technologies to this new delivery model and we need direction and patterns and strategies that will help us know how can we move from that model to something uh, that gets us to a SaaS model, but still acknowledges the path that we have to follow in terms of moving from our legacy model uh, to some new modern architecture. And so that's really the scope of this discussion, right? We wanna look at are there sort of common themes, common strategies that organizations use as they look at how to move to a SaaS delivery model. And this isn't going to be some comprehensive every strategy you can consider. Really what we want to do is just explore the landscape of possibilities, look at different solutions that might be a good fit, Uh, and then give you something you can take away and go back and sort of look at your domain, look at your needs and find a solution that's the best fit for your organization. Now, this is a 300 level topic and so we're not gonna be digging into code. We're not gonna open the IDE or write any code in here. We're mostly going to be looking at architectural principles. Now, one of the biggest challenges that every organization faces that they try to go to a new model is they have to think about What are the business pressures and how can we weigh those business pressures against the needs of our new solution we're targeting. And in SaaS, this is no different, right? In the SaaS world, we're really trying to get to a model where we can get awesome agility, awesome innovation, uh, and we really wanna have great modernization of our architecture, but we still have to acknowledge the reality that we have to think about what our time to market pressures will be, what are the current competitive pressures in our existing domain, and find the mix of those solutions. Almost nobody gets the option to go away and say, we're just gonna rewrite the whole solution, start from scratch, Uh, and then build the ultimate solution. Instead, it's some compromise where we weigh these two aspects of our solution. Another dimension of this uh, is what is called the fish model. And for me, the fish model gives us a really good way to think about how we might approach migration. And it gives you a really good sense of the dynamics that are at play here. And so um, this is from the technology as a service, uh, document that's out of that book that is a publication that covers all these different as a service strategies. I recommend that you look at that if you have a chance. But this fish model that comes from that, it looks at the dynamics of migrating to a SaaS solution. And if you look at the diagram closely here, you'll see a dashed line that represents costs. And that dashed line indicates that as we move to a SaaS delivery model from a traditional solution, um, we'll see that the cost and in our investment to get there will go up along this path. And so we'll, uh, we'll have to incur more costs, we'll have to invest in more development, we'll have to invest in all kinds of new technologies potentially to modernize our solution. In parallel to that though, and this is the hardest part for many organizations, we're also going to see that our revenue potentially as we move from a traditional enterprise licensing model and a, a traditional maybe contractual based approach to selling software to a subscription based model, that tends to have a near term impact on our revenue. So what we'll see is that revenue will begin to dip initially. Uh, And this is a really challenging dimension for organizations because what they'll see is um, that as that's dipping and their costs are rising, this can sort of create a a lot of tension and fear in the business. But ultimately what we're really trying to get to is this dynamic that you sort of see at the tail of the fish, right? So as we invest and we get all the goodness into our modernized architecture, what we'll see is this sort of trailing dip where the costs now become to come down because we get better efficiency, Uh, and we get better agility in our environment. So we have lower operational costs. We have all this goodness uh, that comes with moving to a modernized architecture. And in parallel to that, what we'll see is now customers, as they get comfortable with this subscription model, more and more of them will come into our environment, and we'll see this ramp where new customers come in, new segments come in, new opportunities come in. And now we see this acceleration of growth, where ultimately we'll see growth now pass our cost line, and now we'll see better margins, uh, and we'll see the kind of growth we'd really like to see out of a SaaS organization. So we're really targeting that dynamic. So now you say, we're talking about migration. Well, what does this fish have to do with migra- my migration model? Well, um, if you think of the fish model, and you think of your migration strategy, you have to decide, what kind of fish do I wanna be? Like, what are the realities of my business? How much can we really incur in terms of this revenue dip? Are we really gonna to go to a subscription model? How much will the incremental cost impact our business? And more importantly, you'll see this line across this the bottom here, which is the transformation time. How much time do you really have? And so all these factors determine how you'll migrate. They determine what strategy you'll pick. And I really want you to sit down at the beginning of migration and think about these dynamics and think about what your official will look like for your particular organization. Now we're gonna move into technical bits, but there's one last bit of sort of business and technical that I really wanna talk about here. Um, because when people think about migrating and they come to us and they say, come help us with migrating, they almost always start that discussion by talking about the technical bits of migration. They'll say, come in and help us with tenant isolation, data partitioning, identity, help us with all those sort of hardcore technical bits of being a multi-tenant SaaS solution, improve our DevOps, improve improve our deployment, improve our operational sort of footprint. And these are all core parts of multi-tenant SaaS, but they're only part of the problem. As part of migrating a SaaS organization, we have to migrate both the business and the technical together. So here, as you're moving, I want you in parallel to be thinking about how does the sales part of the organization change? Are we gonna sell differently? Are we going to have a different tiering strategy? Um, How are we going to acquire customers differently? How might our customer support model change into a customer success model? All these dimensions have to transform at the same time as your technical bits of the organization are doing. And this to me is a full business transformation. And as part of all that transformation, you have to be thinking about agility all along that path. How are we going to be more efficient, move faster, get better at what we're doing? Um, And then the question I'll often get here is, um, I'll have architects ask me, well, great, these business bits are really important. I get that they're important, do I really care? I'm like a technical person, do I really care about those aspects of the problem? And the truth is you absolutely should care about those things because the decisions you make at the technical level are going to have a huge impact on the business side of the organization. You can imagine how are you going to have siloed tenants? Are you going to have share infrastructure for tenants? How are you going to tier and distinguish different uh, levels of tenants in your system? Those things all affect how you sell your business or you might need metrics uh, new metrics and analytics that will tell you about how all these customers are operating in this environment that will drive your customer success pipeline. So these business and technical areas overlap heavily. In fact, I will tell the business side, you need to get more involved in the technical bits of this as well. And so um, if if you think about overall migration, be sure that you think about the business bits of this as well. But today our focus is really on the technical bits. So let's, let's shift that direction a little bit. Uh, And when we think about migration, uh, we often think about uh, migration all about what the, in terms of what the architecture ultimately is going to look like. And there's this gray box I've sort of put here as a representation of that. And most of our discussion is going to be about what happens in that box, because that box is what it means to take your existing architecture and migrate it to a new model. And we'll absolutely dig into that. But to me, if you're moving to SaaS, there will be all kinds of flavors of how your architecture might land in this box in the middle. But the important parts are SaaS, of SaaS are the bits around this. right? You have all this surrounding uh, sort of infrastructure and capabilities you have to build just to be an operational SaaS organization. And I've I called out a couple areas here that I think are really important to think about. Onboarding. Um, most people will say, well, we're just migrating, we have some manual process, we have some way that organizations will move to a, to, a, uh, to a multi-tenant model, but right now that's like a couple people in the back room with a piece of paper, and they know what to do, they follow their instructions, and um, that's how we get a new tenant on board. And I will say, well, what happens if 100 new tenants show up tomorrow? That doesn't really scale very effectively. So to me, whether you're a B2C organization where people are signing up with a credit card or you're a big enterprise signing contracts you still need to have a fully automated onboarding process identity is another area where people will often think well we have identity we have an authentication mechanism, but what you don't necessarily have is an authentication mechanism that brings tenant identity into the equation. So now when a tenant authenticates, they don't just authenticate as a user, they identify as a tenant in your system. And somehow we have to come up with an identity solution that will flow that tenant context through our entire experience. In fact, it'll affect many dimensions of our solution, including isolation. Now there's a few other areas we wanna look at. Um, Metrics and analytics is a key area that we want to build out. As you pour more and more customers into this unified experience in here, and they all share a common experience and new customers are coming and going, you have to have really rich metrics and analytics that can give you insights into what aspects of the system they're using, how they're consuming resources. Um, You just, you really can't be blind here because otherwise, you can't make good strategic decisions about how to evolve your architecture or evolve your business. Um, And metering and billing is part of this. So you're moving to a consumption-based model. How are you going to meter consumption? How are you going to capture the activity that's going in your system and turn that into a bill for your customer? Now, even if you're not going to do your own billing or you're gonna have some uh, unique flavor of billing initially, I would still say you need metering because you have to have some view of consumption in your environment. You also have to have some operational bits that are added here that are multi-tenant operational bits. So management and monitoring is a really key one here, right? We're gonna move all these tenants into this shared infrastructure in the middle Um, And if we don't have a single pane of glass that we can look through to manage and monitor those tenants and watch their activity and see what they're doing uh, and proactively respond to events that might come up, um, we will not have a very efficient experience. And our goal really is to say, as a SaaS organization, we don't wanna do one-off management of these tenants. We wanna manage them collectively. So this is a huge part of moving to a SaaS model. And then we have deployment and automation and you'd say, well, yes, we all need DevOps, but I would say you need the richest version of DevOps you could ever get, because in a SaaS environment, we really have to have a zero downtime model where we, we deploy and release features and functions all the time, and there's no downtime for our customers. And so that means we're trying canary releases and dark launches, and we're using the best of DevOps uh, to be able to really raise the bar and get the agility we need out of our organization. Now, the last bit I'm gonna add here is tenant isolation. It belongs in the box, but it's a separate horizontal concept. We're not gonna dig into tenant isolation a lot today, but tenant isolation is a core part of this, and I, I encourage you to go look at the other content we have in isolation, uh, and you should really layer that into your thinking uh, about migration. Now, uh, if you take nothing else away from this entire talk, uh, I would really want you to focus on this slide and the previous slide because A, I think this Uh, transformation is a holistic transformation where you're transforming the whole business. And as much as we wanna focus on what's in the box here and how our technology changes, uh, moving to SaaS is really about these surrounding bits. If we get these surrounding bits right, we can take our time and do the right moves we have to make within the box to slowly migrate our solution to a multi-tenant model. And so here, no matter which choice we make in the middle, we're surrounded by unified onboarding, we have unified management, so we're still getting operational efficiency, we're still getting the agility we want, and we're just refining the architecture in the middle of this. Now, I've identified a few common migration models that are out there um, that I think are really good buckets for discussing migration. Uh, And they're not meant to be, these are the comprehensive end-all, beat-all sort of Uh, models for migration, but they represent the common themes that I see out there, and they give us a really good construct for discussing migration. And the first of these is what we're going to call silo lift and shift. In a silo lift and shift model, our goal really here is to say, hey, I have this traditional solution, It's been hosted on-prem or it's been hosted uh, by us, but uh, each customer's kind of had their own one-off solution, and now we're going to move all of those silos of stacks into a universal representation, and we're going to try to lift it and shift it without touching uh, much of the system. The goal here is to have this be a really low investment effort and spend more of your time in building the surrounding bits but retaining most of your stack. And this is really appealing to some businesses, partly because it gets them there faster, but also because it could be the ultimate destination for your solution. Depending on how much you think it will need to scale or depending on the nature of your business, you might say, I'm gonna leave all my customers in silos and that will be good enough for my business. See, so there's a number of reasons why that might be a good path for you. The next model we're gonna look at is the layered path. And the layered path is a, is a little less common, but layered is really about saying, hey, we're gonna take our silos, our stacks uh, for our individual tenants, and we're gonna take some layer out of that system and make it a multi-tenant layer, so that we will get the goodness of efficiency and optimization and scale out of that common layer. And then the last one uh, is what I call service-by-service migration. And in this model, we're basically saying, I wanna target a modern architecture. I wanna have an end goal of having an architecture that is the ultimate architecture uh, for my system. So I really wanna find cloud native solutions out here. I wanna build microservices and show me an incremental way to get there. And so here we'll talk about how you carve out individual services as part of an evolutionary model. So let's dig into the first of these, silo lift and shift. What does silo lift and shift really look like? Um, Well, there's nothing super exotic here, right? Our goal really is to say, uh, as I mentioned before, take the stack mostly as it is. Now one of the variants you have to think about here is if you've allowed everybody to sort of have their own solution, um, now you have to think about, well, wait a minute, I have to have a universal version of the product that everybody consumes. We can no longer have one-off versions. And we also have to think about how am I going to land this inside of AWS? Um, Am I gonna put these in VPCs? Am I gonna put them in separate accounts? So you have to come decide like which construct is the right construct for you. And we have lots of other context uh, for how you might go about deciding that um, in other uh, available information from the AWS SaaS factory. But um, generally we're conceptually just saying land them here, land them in their own silos. And then the other bit I wanna emphasize here is I've said you have to surround it with all these common bits. Um, I've identified a few common services are here. This isn't everything, but I just wanna have this sort of notion that there are these shared services that are essential to your solution. Identity, onboarding that we mentioned, um, tenant management, you have to have some solution for that. These are all the sort of bits that you have to go build that are new outside the individual silos. Now we have to have a way for users to get into the system, so we're going to have to introduce some authentication mechanism that uses our new identity. That new identity will then have tenant context in it, and that tenant context will now flow into our system. But as it flows into our system, because each user is in their own stack, we have to have some kind of routing construct, and I've intentionally left the routing construct Um, a a little vague here because we'll dig into what could be there and lots of things could fill that gap but essentially we're saying I have tenant context I have these individual stacks something is going to route you as a tenant to the appropriate stack and then the last key piece of this is okay what does it mean to onboard a new tenant and what we see here is we actually have to introduce DevOps and onboarding bits that will take an individual stack provision it and deploy it into the environment and Again, because I've emphasized that this should be frictionless experience, you really should have an automated process where somebody says, add new tenant to the system, and the tenant just gets provisioned and put into the environment. Any configuration that's needed, any routing that's needed will land the tenant here. And from the outside universe's perspective, um, the fact that these tenants are running in their own silos um, is irrelevant. Um, It's important to you operationally internally, but you present a view to the world that you are entirely multi-tenant. The next variation of this uh, that we want to look at, we talked about routing. Uh, I want to dig a little more into that routing aspect of this and talk about what some of the routing options you have. And there are lots of routing options because networking just gives us all kinds of good ways to solve these problems. But I at least want to highlight a couple of common patterns that I see. Um, One is a domain-driven approach to routing. And in this model, essentially, Um, Tenants are assigned a domain or a subdomain. They have some part of their domain name that identifies them as a tenant. You can imagine environments where you sign up and you're actually given a domain as part of your experience. Now, I use that domain and basically DNS or some other sort of network routing construct to route each tenant to their own um, stack, a very straightforward model and a really commonly used scheme. Now, what if we can't use domains uh, as a way of doing this routing though? Now we have to look at more data-driven routing systems. And in these models, when I say data-driven, I'm basically saying the context of who you are as a tenant is embedded in your interaction with the system. So now these tenants come in with a universal entry point into an API, but embedded in their their message is their tenant context. In In this case, I've shown with a JWT token. That JWT token includes their tenant ID, their role, all those other bits. Now, when that comes to the API entry point, we will crack that jaw open, we'll figure out which way you need to route, and then we will um, use some context-based routing. We'll look at that information, and then we'll decide how do we route you to the appropriate path. Um, Really straightforward, and again, not something you have to think too hard about, but I also wanna give you a concrete example of this with AWS technologies. So if we did the data-driven approach here, you can imagine a couple of tenants come in they hit the API Gateway, again, we have this JWT, we've probably authenticated with Cognito or something of that nature or using OpenID Connect or one of those schemes. We come through API Gateway and then API Gateway will go out to a custom authorizer, which is a Lambda function. That Lambda function will crack open the JWT, it'll look inside, figure out which tenant you are or what role you're in, and it will inject headers into your request. Now with those injected headers, we can essentially go to the application load balancer and we can have routing rules. And those routing rules will essentially look at these tenant headers and say, oh, your tenant header for tenant one, I'm gonna send you to tenant one stack, or your tenant two, I'll send you to tenant two stack. So this is a really effective way of dealing with this routing and it really handles uh, us, our ability to sort of distribute to all these different tenant stacks. The next variation we wanna look at is layered migration. And I said, uh, layered migration is not as common, but I do think for some organizations it can be a really good fit. Um, And the goal here with layered migration is really to say, um, we're going to take some layer of our system, and I've chosen um, the web tier in this particular example, example, and said, hey, um, the web tier doesn't have a lot of tenant context in it. It doesn't have a lot of coupling and dependencies between tenants in here. We can pull that out of our monolith, and we can represent it as a true multi-tenant tier of our system. Now we'll leave the app tier and the storage separate for every single tenant, but at least now we can put auto-scaling and we can put all the goodness of AWS sort of scaling contract concepts and efficiency around that web tier uh, and then um, introduce the shared concepts we talked earlier and then route traffic in. So now when a tenant authenticates, If they're just doing things with the web tier, they'll just hit the web tier in a multi-tenant model and that'll be the end of their request. But if they have to interact with the app tier, we'll actually have routing at that level that will say, okay, now which tenant stack, which app tier you have to have. And then, you know, sort of common to our theme here is this idea of onboarding. So in onboarding here, we still have to say, even in this model, hey, those bits that are per tenant that need to be provisioned each time will get provisioned and brought into this this spot in an automated fashion. So here you'll see an app tier and the storage that will be provisioned and brought in for each tenant as they need to come in. And at least here in this model, um, I have still got a lot of separate stacks for tenant, but some layer of my system has moved to a multi-tenant model. And you can imagine now, if we wanna keep going on this path, excuse me, got to go to the next level here, Multi-tenant tier is a great place to start, but for some organizations, they'll take their app tier and they'll actually say, you know what? Um, Even though our app tier has all this legacy bits in it, even though it's kind of monolithic, uh, the the app tier could still be moved forward into a multi-tenant model. And so what they'll do here is they'll actually go in and they'll vest the time and energy to basically build a multi-tenant app tier. And this multi-tenant app tier Uh, will mean introducing tenant context, it will change the way you interact with data, and yes, it will be a big investment. But for some organizations, that's still a worthwhile use of time. So essentially what they'll say is, I'm willing to stay in a somewhat monolithic model, um, but if I can still get dynamic scale and elasticity out of both my web tier and my app tier, For my business, that's enough. Or maybe this is a stepping stone on your way to another flavor of migration, but it's still a good stepping stone for your organization. The trade-off here is, is it worth investing the time and energy in sort of refactoring that application tier? Now, as you uh, introduce this layer of the app tier, you still have to think about storage. And yes, in this model, you'll probably leave each tenant with their own storage but now we're just down to traditional sort of multi-tenant data routing. So you could in in fact consider this an entirely multi-tier stack if you wanted, where you're basically in a silo model where each tenant has their own data. So as we go from the app tier to try to go access the data, yes, we need some way to determine which database belongs to which tenant. And so the last piece in this is, yes, we onboard. Now our onboarding got even thinner though Um, Our onboarding is now just about provisioning a new database for this tenant and moving them in. The last model we wanna look at here is service by service migration. And to me, uh, this one is very compelling for organizations that are very much about saying, we want to be in a modern architecture. We want to get to that end state that is the end state that will let us maximize the agility and innovation of our solution. And so we want to put ourselves on a path uh, to microservices and uh, managed services and all the goodness that we can extract from from the cloud. So if you look at the starting point for a service-by-service migration, it's not all that surprising. Still need tenant authentication. We still have our old stack because we haven't migrated entirely away from it. So we now we just need routing that will essentially um, send us to the appropriate stacks. But now what we're going to do is say, okay, for that application tier, let's identify some piece of functionality. Um, I should note, I should have added here that the shared services are, are also part of this experience. They're part of all these experiences. But now as I carve out uh, functionality from the app tier, um, these microservices will be. Uh, carved out and made first-class, multi-tenant microservices. And they will sit alongside our application tier. So we'll essentially have this hybrid mode where we have our old monolith of the app tier and we have these new first-class, multi-tenant microservices. And as part of carving out those microservices, we'll also have to carve out the data for those. And honestly, we'll talk about this a little more, but this, this is often a biggest part of the exercise here, which is, really building a fully encapsulated microservice where the microservice just doesn't own the functionality, it owns the actual data. But when I get to this level, now I can begin to carve out more and more microservices. So this becomes a slow evolution where I say, okay, now let's go grab the next set of microservices. Let's grab the next set of microservices with the goal of essentially eliminating the app tier entirely. Now there's another variation of this Um, that I think is a natural sort of incremental step, which is yes, we'll have these microservices that we're carving out at the bottom, but why leave our web tier in a traditional old school web tier kind of model? Um, Let's move it to a more modern web tier as well. So what you'll see here is organizations say, as a first step in this, we'll just carve out the web tier and we'll at least make it a separately scalable tier of our system, kind of like we did in the layered solution, and we'll route underneath that web tier. And at least that gives us the cost efficiency and scale at the web tier model. And that's a good first step, but really the end state we'd like to get to is, yes, we have all these shared constructs and the microservices, but now we want to introduce a modern web application architecture. So now we're actually gonna move the application out to the edge, host it in S3. We're gonna build it in React or Angular or one of the modern technologies. And that experience will now interact with my services and my monolith via the API gateway. And this approach really moves me more and more towards the end state that I want to get to because now I have a modern web application, I have some new microservices, and now I just have to keep carving out of the app tier the individual uh, microservices that I need and slowly I'm on the path to a fully modernized uh, SaaS infrastructure. Now, one of the things I really wanna emphasize here is, yes, we're gonna do service by service design, but when you go to build these new microservices, you have to build these multi-tenant microservices as if you were starting from scratch. Don't make big compromises here. Don't sort of suggest, well, because we're building it alongside our monolith, we'll think about uh, introducing some bits, but we're gonna leave some bits out. No, uh, you have to set a really high bar here, and you have to introduce those core concepts that I talked about earlier, into each one of these microservices. So, when I build this microservice, it has to have isolation. It has to have some notion of logging that is multi-tenant logging so that logs include tenant context in them so that if something's going on with this service, I can actually go look at the logs and see in the context of that tenant what's going on. I wanna now introduce metrics and analytics, that means tenant aware metrics and analytics so that I can go see what are tenants doing with this particular service and make this part of my broader metrics metrics and analytics story. And then of course this, this microservice is going to have to access data. Now are we going to use data partitioning in which best practices SaaS approaches are we going to use to data partitioning? Uh, so really my whole point here is if I were to sort of lift a microservice out of your migrated solution and look at it, I would say that microservice looks like it was part of an entire rewrite and it's setting the stage for all our other microservices to fall in line with that. Now, as we're going, if we're going to move our, um, our microservices into this incremental fashion, I said that the hardest part of that is the data part of that. And what we see with organizations making this move is they've built these really big monolithic databases and their services have full control over those databases. Every service can touch any dimension of that database. And then layered on that, we'll sometimes see organizations that have invested heavily in stored procedures. And those stored procedures have all this business logic and all these other bits in them. And so we get this really intertwined uh, sort of challenge of, business logic and monolithic database. And so now when we reach in here and say, let's carve out a microservice, let's carve something out uh, as part of our service, the challenge is like, where do we start? And there's no easy answer to this problem. You're going to have to find a domain of data and a domain of logic. Hopefully you start with low-hanging fruit first and things that aren't super important in the system, but you carve out some services. And it might mean as part of carving them out, you will have to identify multiple services because the domain of domain data may not come out easily on its own. And I, as much as I say this is a really hard part of the problem, um, the payoff of this move is, is very much worth it. It just means you're going to have to spend a lot of time and energy figuring out what are the right incremental bits? What are the right microservices? Now, the more you carve it apart, the more you separate it, uh, the easier this gets, right? And then you finally get to some tipping point where you're like, we've moved so much out, we've gotten so good at microservices that now pulling this all apart and putting it into separate microservices is not a big deal. I would also say that you don't have to start with super fine-grained microservices. If you start with more coarse-grained microservices and you carve it out, because that's what you need for your data, you can always start there and say, now we really think that microservice could be decomposed into smaller microservices and let this sort of decomposition earn its way into your design. If we're going to change these microservices and we're gonna introduce these microservices that have first class concepts in them, it sort of begs the question, what happens to the monolith? What happens to the monolith application service that's still sitting out there running the old code in a single tenant sort of fashion? Well, you sort of have an option here. You could say leave it in a single tenant mode and just expect that that's gonna be challenging. Um, But what I encourage organizations to do here is say, even though this code may be going away, invest here in putting a little bit of instrumentation into this environment and invest in some frameworks and tooling that will give you some multi-tenant constructs. So logging, for example, it'd be great to introduce some way and hopefully as transparently as possible, introduce logging that would have your monolith emitting tenant-aware logs. The same thing with metrics. Introduce some metrics here. It doesn't have to be a ton, but introduce some metrics into your monolith. And then finally, you have to have some notion of metering and billing. How are you going to publish metering and billing from these old monoliths? Uh, This is a really challenging topic and one that uh, you could argue uh, is one where you would say, leave the monolith as it is, we'll get to that eventually. It's not a good investment of the time. And I could see that argument, but I generally think if your path is to get to SaaS, that it's worth a little bit of refactoring here. Now, there are more than one way to get to this uh, solution, right? There's more than one path to go through migration. These aren't sort of separate, uh, only do it this way kind of models. There are different ways you could combine these approaches. As an example, you could start with silo lift and shift. You could say, I'm just gonna be lift and shift uh, at the beginning and because that gets me to market as fast as I possibly can, that'll be a really good starting point. We'll make the business happy and we'll be able to at least sell the customers. Now we're gonna do a layered conversion. I'll do a layer, I'll take the web tier and convert it because that's good for the business. And then eventually I'll do service by service on that particular um, state of the system. So I'm slowly evolving as I move left to right here from one model to the other. I could also say I'll start with silo lift and shift and I'll go straight to a service by service model. And these are all influenced by the time to market and the business pressures you have. And if you have more time, you might go straight to service by service. If you don't, you might go straight to silo lift and shift and then evolve from there. Now, there's also a strategy that we talk about called parallel migration. And this one is more about carving out some parallel sort of architectural approach that's separate from your existing system as a way of learning and evolving your understanding of multi-tenant constructs. So if we start out with uh, our current single tenant solution, one approach here could be to say, hey, we're going to do all of our new features and our new capabilities, all the new development we're doing, that will be done with microservices. And we'll carve out the microservices. We'll carve out um, multi-tenant constructs. We'll put it all over there and we'll get really good at that, but it won't affect the baseline system. It'll only be new development. So we don't have to worry about how do we carve out data and how do we go through all those Complex moves that were involved in our service by service migration. Because this is all greenfield new opportunities, you can sort of build it alongside your current system. Another strategy we'll see organizations do is say, let's go build in a brand new product, an entirely new product. Maybe it targets a different segment, maybe it's a different uh, aspect of your particular domain, um, but we're going to go build that. We're going to use that new product to really learn the the best of SaaS and learn how to build a cloud-native solution without any of the baggage of our legacy system. And then after we build that, uh, if we sort of move it towards feature parity with our original single tenant monolith system, we could consider whether or not we might encourage tenants to move from the old system to the new system, or you'll just maintain the two separately. Either way, um, you could argue that going on this path at least frees you of migration, but you do have to think about, well, what does that mean to time to market for your baseline system, and how will that be, be impacted by existing competitive pressures and so on. Um, now, I really kinda wanna summarize the pros and cons of these different approaches just to give you a sense of some of the trade-offs. Uh, we looked at silo lift and shift, and the pros of this one probably are pretty straightforward. Faster time to market, um, it's minimally invasive, you're absolutely going to touch the code and there. absolutely going to make changes, but it's going to be fairly minimal and it's, the goal should be to keep it minimal. Um, and this one really has a great isolation story. So as customers are coming into this environment, because each tenant is running in their own stack, you really can say, hey, I, I have a great isolation story and customers can get really comfortable with that really fast. Of course, the cons on this side are um, whenever we sort of have this decentralized experience agility and innovation are not as good as they could be, just because there's more moving parts to this. And cost is not optimized here, right? Because we're running separate stacks for every tenant, the cost isn't great. And even though we're gonna do bits to give a single pane of glass to manageability here, manageability is still a little harder in this decentralized fashion. Now we move to layered, and the best benefit of it layered is that it's incremental, right? Like we're going to modernize, but we're gonna modernize in an incremental fashion. And it can be moderately invasive, right? If we pick the right spots and the right layers, we don't have to uh, make huge changes to the code. Uh, we get the sort of operational and agility benefits of leveraging cloud elasticity and those concepts in this space. Um, and we also can get some real quick wins for our organization. Now, in the con side, this could be, have a little bit of a compromise on the time to market side, still has manageability and cost challenge as well. Finally, service by service, Um, It's incremental as well, and so that's always an upside. We never want to go like a big bang sort of change here. We really want to do this in in small steps, uh, and service by service gives us the ability to do that. And it's great because we're targeting all this sort of best of class in-state. We're going for full modernization, we're going for scale availability, we're going for best of breed DevOps, all the goodness that we'd like to have in a a best case um, agile SaaS solution. Now, the cons of this side are are, are the easy ones, right? Time to market, right? This can be slower. Um, The the difficulty in carving out the services can take more time. It kind of depends. Like if you have a really natural way to carve them out, this isn't so bad. But for some organizations, this can be a slower process. The data model is always a huge part of this. And it's invasive. uh, So it has more complexity attached to it. I also want to point out that, um, you know, we often talk in SaaS about the fact that as you're migrating, um, you could migrate to what we'd call a siloed model or a pooled model. So on the left, you see a pooled model where all the tenants of our system are sharing infrastructure. And then you'll see on the right-hand side, uh, a silo model where a tenant has their entirely own unique view of the universe. And some organizations that are migrating will say, I have to be one or I have to be the other. And the reality is you don't have to make that trade-off. You could start with, the pool model on the left and say, the pool is my initial starting point. And then if a tenant happens to demand their own environment, you could carve out a silo experience from that uh, from that pooled experience. So here we still get all the goodness of our, uh, of our pooled environment, all the automation, all the deployment, but we've got a, basically an environment with one tenant in it. And this gives us a way to, to still support the needs of silo-based customers, but still maintain the agility because our customers are still using a single unified experience. Now, I always get asked by organizations like, okay, then where would you start? You're saying all this stuff that sort of surrounds my migration is the place I should really focus on. And so I wanted to give you just a really conceptual example of what it would mean to sort of start this process. Uh, And if I were going to start from scratch, I would say, I want to find some way to get tenants onboarded in my system. I'm going to start with that problem. And so I'm going to have to introduce some notion of how I uh, enable SaaS identity, how do I connect users to tenants, and how do tenants get created. And that's a huge thing to get resolved as part of your migration. And as part of that onboarding, I'm going to think, if I have to do provisioning, if I have to provision environments, I have to provision stacks as part of this, how will the automation uh, provision that experience as part of onboarding? then I'm gonna look at authorization. And you'd say, well, I already have authorization, but no, you need authorization in the context of this new tenant that you've introduced. So you're gonna have to go out and retrofit your authentication or build a new authentication scheme that includes tenant identity in your authentication. So that now after I authenticate as a user and I flow into the system, I'm gonna have that context that flows into the stack, whichever stack it is. Again, the stack could be silo, could be pool, could be any of these models we've talked about. Either way, I've got to flow that context in. And now once I have that bit in there, I can start look at the other surrounding bits. How should I build logging in my new solution? I have to go off and look at how can I build tenant aware logging and how can I introduce that? So even as I'm writing the very first slices of my system, if I'm looking at the log files, I will have tenant context in that logging and I will have a standard way that developers can log information. The same is going to be true for metrics and analytics right i'm going to emit some very simple metrics at first and emit them in tenant context so that i have exercised that mechanism and i have a way for developers to publish metrics uh, and that may evolve over time but i at least want some foundation of that to be put in place and then the last bit i have to have some kind of automation around all of this right how i deploy features and functions and how i release aspects of the system, all of that has to be automated um, from early on. We can't say we're going to add that somehow later on in the process. So so for me, um, you can see that I'm focusing more on all the surrounding bits and less on what's in the middle of this this diagram, because I think you have to figure out how to orchestrate all of that and figure out what it really means to have the context of a tenant spanning this entire experience. Now. Um, I talked a lot about the importance of onboarding. I definitely want to sort of drive this point home, which is to say, as you do onboarding, as you do it for each of these models, it should be frictionless across every one of these experiences. So go build that automation for each one of these models to provision whatever needs to be provisioned. And if you're going to a fully pooled model where everything's shared, then that just means you're configuring and setting up the environment, but there's still something there that should be part of this frictionless experience. Now, um, if we talk about migration here, um, one of the things I'll really see organizations do is they'll say, great, we're gonna migrate. We're gonna migrate in silos. We're gonna go say, let's focus all of our time at first on all these development problems. And we'll figure out identity, and we'll figure out onboarding. We'll go after all those dimensions of this. And then once we figure that out, we'll start thinking about what deployment needs, And somewhere way down the road, we'll start thinking about what operations needs. And then who knows, maybe these sales and marketing concepts and the business dimensions eventually come in. And I think that's a mistake. I think organizations ought to work this problem horizontally. So what I wanna see you do is say, I'm gonna take a slice of development, a slice of deployment, a slice of operations, And even in my first iteration, I'm going to try to exercise all those moving parts. Yes, it's only gonna be a small slice of each one of those things, but I will learn more from working across all of those versus working one silo on its own. And then yes, I'll work iteratively across all of those bits. And initially you may not reach all the way to the end, but it should be your goal to be working all those layers simultaneously. Now, what are some of the common challenges and pitfalls we see organizations have here? Um, well, I think the most obvious one is people just generally think they have a lot of time. You'll go into an organization and they'll say, we don't have any competitors. We've got the market locked down. We have all this taken care of. Um, so yes, we want to we migrate, but we, we really want to spend a lot of time thinking about how to get it just right and don't want to make any mistakes. And I always tell those organizations, there is someone out there right now potentially building a SaaS solution who is going to be competing with you. And if you don't start moving urgently to a SaaS solution, um, they may end up taking your space. So yes, you don't have to like be in a mad scramble here, but you should always assume that, that you don't have all the time you might necessarily want. Um, I do see organizations also underinvesting in agility. They'll, say, they'll focus on feature function and they won't focus on operational agility and just general agility of moving to SaaS. And I think that undermines their overall um, success of their migration. Um, and a, a specific dimension of agility that really gets underemphasized here is operational agility. People will say, yes, we have tools to, to watch the health of the system, we're all good. No, operational agility means something very different in SaaS environments. You have to have a view that shows you how individual tenants are uh, performing in the system, which resources they're consuming. You have to have tools that will let you proactively identify problems uh, in this environment. And when you're running in a multi-tenant environment, if you don't have those tools, it's gonna to be very hard to understand how healthy your system is and what dynamics are going on. You also, uh, I, I see organizations that will not have tenant-aware logging. So they'll just say, yes, we're gonna do logging, but this idea of injecting the tenant into logs and into metrics and all those other bits, uh, we can use some tool to go sort all that out. I think that you need to inject those contexts, as first-class concepts in your logs and your metrics uh, from day one. Um, the other one here, and this one's a little more debatable one, but I'll see some organizations say, we're going to go to microservices, but we're going to build all those microservices on top of, them of a monolithic database. We're going to keep our monolithic database. and. What we'll see here is um, they'll build these awesome microservices, but they're all still coupled to all the bad dimensions of the monolithic database. They're still all connected to one another in ways where they can't be released independently and they can't be rolled out efficiently. So you really haven't achieved a lot of the goodness of microservices because this sort of graph of dependencies keeps you from rolling out features and functions at the pace you need to. Um, the other bit here is, I think it's pretty straightforward. You need to break free from stored procs. You need to get those stored procs moved out and into your microservices. Um, and then this, this one is a big one to me, which is um, you're, you're making this move. You're migrating as a business to a new model. Um, you're saying that we are buying into agility and innovation and we're targeting that as our goal for SaaS but then you don't end up surfacing these metrics that are part of your transformation to the stakeholders in your business. Like I want the business people in my SaaS organization to care about how we're doing with how frequently we can release, how many times we have problems with releases, how fast we can onboard tenants. I want the management of my organization to know that those are the the big achievements we have as we're migrating our solution. And then the last one here, I do see some organizations that are so about features and functions um, that they'll sort of leave multi-tenancy out. They'll say eventually we're going to add it, but let's build the foundation of our solution and then we'll sort of bolt multi-tenancy on. And that's never a good idea because multi-tenancy touches so many dimensions of your architecture and it changes the shape and structure of it in so many ways that if you don't sort of have that from day one, uh, you're probably going to end up refactoring and rewriting your architecture as you add multi-tenancy. Now. One point I really want to drive home here, and I think I've said it a fair amount, but I really visually want to make this point, which is if you go away and build this awesome, modernized, multi-tenant um, stack for your SaaS solution, and it's, you're very proud of it, and it exhibits all the behaviors of an awesome architecture, um, that's fantastic. But until you add on all these other bits, these operational bits, um, these deployment bits, um, these agility bits, you really haven't achieved the the benefits of SaaS. And so for me, technical elegance alone isn't enough. You have to have agility as part of this experience as well. And only with those two together, do you really end up with a full sort of fully realized SaaS solution. Finally, I wanna look at a few takeaways here. Um, Hopefully you can see here, that we really want you to to focus heavily on the building blocks of your SaaS solution as you get going here, right? Don't just sort of obsess over how you're going to change the compute model or how you're going to change the storage model. Think more about about those bits around it. How am I going to do identity? How am I going to do onboarding? How am I gonna do management and monitoring? Those core building blocks are going to be key to your success and if you can get those bits right, um, the rest of it will fall into place much easier. Um, The other bit is, Really make identity and isolation a key concept here. Your customers are not gonna buy your solution if you don't have a good isolation story. And that isolation story is almost always connected to identity. And so um, if you solve identity and then you connect identity to isolation early in your process, uh, it sort of uh, paves the way for the rest of your solution. Um, um, I I think I already highlighted this point, but I wanna drive it home again, which is definitely support multiple tenants on day one. Um, And don't defer the automated onboarding. You should have automated onboarding early. Uh, It should be part of your QA cycle, right? Somebody's in QA and they get a new version of your product. You haven't even released it. You're only in a dev cycle right now. When somebody gets it in in QA and they say, hey, I wanna test it, they ought to be have some automated way that they can introduce a new tenant in the system and test whether or not all the moving parts and the orchestration of all that works. Um, Yes, um, metrics are key. I think I drove home the point that metrics are key. What I I really want to emphasize here is that you don't have to go for every metric. You don't have to go crazy with metrics at first. You may not even know what metrics you need at first. I mostly want you to build a foundation here. Just start with a few metrics. Make that part of your early migration story. And then, yes, you can layer on more metrics as you learn more. Um, Management and monitoring is awesome. uh, And there's lots of great tools out there for that. uh, Lots of great partner tools that solve these problems. But I want you to think about management and monitoring through the lens of being tenant aware. So you may have to go build custom dashboards or configure your existing management and monitoring tools to say, how can I tell when a particular tenant is having a problem or if, If somebody comes to me in support and says, this tenant's having a bad experience, and I drop into the dashboard and say, I don't see any problems, how can I drill in in the context of that tenant and see what's going on? And this will be essential to your migration story, even while you're in the dev phase, because even as you're testing and you're having problems, if you don't have some way to view the health of individual tenants and see how the tenants are exercising the system, it can make it really challenging to solve problems. I definitely wanna also emphasize the fact that you should be working in these sort of horizontal iterations that I mentioned earlier. Um, Exercise all the moving parts that you can on every single one of those iterations. And finally, um, you should always be asking yourself, um, are you meeting your agility goals, right? So don't just say, yes, we wanna get to agility, that's the end product of what we're going. No, measure your progress towards agility. Put mechanisms in place, and bring visibility to whether or not you're doing it. Because the whole reason you're going after this migration to begin with is to change your business and change the way you deliver software and be able to deliver software to customers at a faster pace. And if you don't sort of measure your progress toward that goal along the way, you may not know whether you're making the right moves. Anyway, um, that that covers all of the migration topics I really have time for here today. Uh, I really appreciate that uh, you taking the time to sort of listen in and hear about these different patterns and strategies, I do wanna emphasize that somewhere within all of this is probably the right combinations and patterns and strategies that happen to fit your business, but you really sort of have to layer onto this all the realities of your business to find the solution that's right for you. But hopefully this at least gives you a, a bit of a roadmap and a landscape for exploring that space. Thank you so much.